What's going on, podcast world? It's your man, Terrence J. Welcome to Real Talk Podcast. Today's topic, we are honoring the father of black basketball, Dr. Edwin Bancroft Henderson. I have some special guests on. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, Real Talk. This is Barrington Scott, the uh, trustee, alumni trustee at the University of the District of Columbia and chairperson for the Dr. Edwin Bancroft Henderson Memorial Fund Campaign. Okay, nice for you to come on. Uh, this is Pennington Green, DCBasketball.com, basketball aficionado, and uh, absolutely passionate about the game of basketball. Okay, nice to meet you, brother. This is Edwin Bancroft Henderson II, grandfather, the grandson of Dr. E.V. Henderson. Um, I'm also the founder of the Tenner Hill Heritage Foundation in Falls Church, Virginia, and Henderson House, Inc. Okay, brother, nice for you to come on. I'm Keith Irby. I am a member and historian for the Eastern Board of Officials. We are the uh, oldest African-American sports officiating board in the U.S., founded by uh, Dr. Edwin Bancroft Henderson. Okay, okay. Nice for y'all brothers to come on. How y'all brothers doing today? Oh, fantastic, brother. Quite well, thank you. Thank you, yes. Everything's good on this end. Okay, okay. All right, I'm going to get to you, um, Mr. Henderson. Um, Can you tell us about um, your grandfather um, and his life and all that led up to... um, him being in the title called the grandfather of basketball? Well, I have to start out by saying that uh, this was about res- my efforts to, um, to uh, get my grandfather, Dr. E.B. Henderson, into the Basketball Hall of Fame was a matter of resurrecting someone's life um, from obscurity because of the um, public memory of someone being lost. Uh, When E.B. Henderson was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, I told them that, you know, he had been overlooked for so long and he would have been 130 years old on the date that he was inducted. Um, My uh, E.B. Henderson is responsible for putting in place the infrastructure so that African-Americans could participate in organized athletics. Um, He started the first African-American Athletic League, started the first organization to train referees and officials. And then after learning the game of basketball, at Harvard in 1904, the same year the basketball was a uh, introduced to the world at the St. Louis Olympics in 1904, he brought the game to Washington, D.C. and taught it, um, taught the fundamentals of basketball to his students, where he was the first African-American male to be certified to teach physical education in the United States. Mm, okay that's something new that i i definitely didn't know um 
And I'm glad that you brought that um, brought that uh, subject up. OK. And also, let me ask you this question here. Um, can you please discuss his passion in physical um, uh, culture, uh, civil rights and, and the love that he had for his family? Well, that, that's a mouthful. <laughs> you, know, you, you can break those up, you know, separately even, you know. But uh, physical culture, you know, he was always uh, one that was dedicated to um, clean living and taking care of one's body. And he saw uh, athletics and basketball as a way to really fight um a sedentary lifestyle that African-Americans found themselves in the northern cities after leaving the farms in the south and migrating north. Um, and there were many diseases like uh, uh, sedentary diseases like um, tuberculosis and um, dysentery and other things that uh, these cities were uh, living in the cities uh, was devastating the African-American population. And therefore, physical education became a passion for him. And by being certified to teach that, um, he was um, at the forefront of physical education, athletics, and recreation in the school system in Washington, D.C. Additionally, might I also add that he started the first African-American school league Mm. In, in Washington, D.C., um, colored schools. Okay. Because there was segregation, of course, and everything, you know, that was well, that was made for blacks had to be made by blacks. And therefore, uh, he took it on as his responsibility to put in place um, these structures so that African-Americans could live a more um, healthy lifestyle in the northern cities understandable um and i'm also glad that you brought that up uh, um, because a lot of people didn't know about uh the segregation they only thought about segregation being down south in, in, in the southern states when we think about mississippi alabama georgia south carolina florida uh um louisiana texas arkansas oklahoma those those states so when we think about mm -hmm. um being segregated, we think about those uh, uh, those states there. Um, so let's get off into this um, the book when we talk about uh, Negro and sports. Can you break down a little bit of that? Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about civil rights first. Though. Okay, okay. Um, when um, in nineteen ten, um, you know, he married my grandmother, and they moved to. Uh, the small agricultural vill uh, village of uh, Falls Church, Virginia, which was only six miles from the nation's capital. And um, in and after he built his house in 1913, in 1915, they passed an ordinance that would have made him sell his house to whites and move to an area of town which was designated for colored only. And he pulled together a group of uh, black citizens in that community and they waged a fight against the powers that be and wrote a letter to W.E.B. Du Bois to start a branch of the NAACP here in the small town of Falls Church. Um, these people, well, the letter that came back said that um, there are no rule branches and we fear for your life 
because that's where all the atrocities were taking place were in these small towns. And so they, uh, uh, W.B. Du Bois said that they would provide this committee uh, called the Colored Citizens Protective League with resources, lawyers and other things, so that they could fight against this ordinance that would have made them have to sell their homes to whites and moved to an area that was only 5% in the land mass of the town. Um, this um, was the first, when they did finally receive a charter in 1918, uh, this was the first rule branch created in the whole nation here in Falls Church, Virginia. Wow. And after that, he was also active in the D.C. NAACP. He was a charter member of the D.C. NAACP because my grandmother, his wife, uh, belonged to the 15th Street Presbyterian Church where Francis Grimke was the pastor. And the person who was president and founder of the Washington NAACP was Archibald Grimke, his brother. So even though um, they they started the first branch, rule branch from Paul's church. He was already a member in the Washington, D.C. branch. Okay. And then after Brown versus Board of Education, he became the president of the Virginia State NAACP uh, to help implement the fight against massive resistance and to implement Brown versus Board of Education. Wow. You just dropped a lot of knowledge that uh, uh, I don't think a lot of people even really knew about this uh, um, because when we think about basketball um, and in the history within itself, we think about um, Magic Johnson, of course, we think about uh, um, so many greats that came with that, but we don't really go back to the beginning of the roots when we think about basketball and, and where did it all come from. And, and when you think about those days and times, and it's wonderful that you have the days and dates that you could be able to explain these type of things so we can figure out, you know, where did the uh, the Negro Basketball League come from, you know, because a lot of people really don't talk about those things. Now, to you, brother, uh, uh, Trustee Baron Scott, um, what is being done at uh, the UDC um, this Black History Month regarding to um, uh, Dr. Uh, E.B. Henderson? Well, I just want to first say that... Um uh, most people don't realize that uh, the University of the District of Columbia goes back to its predecessor institute, which, which was minor teachers, minor normal school, and then minor teachers college. And so we are uh, uh, one of the, we're the only public university and land grant university in the District of Columbia. We were, we're the second oldest HBCU. Uh, founded and established in 1851. And so I just wanted to put that on the table. UDC, as it is today, was a combination of three universities back in 1975-76, a federal city college, Washington Technical Institute, and D.C. Teachers College, which is now combined together to make the University of the District of Columbia. So we're very, very proud of our history as a university, but more specifically, that Dr. Henderson was a 1904 uh, graduate from Minus Teachers College or Minus Normal School Number Two, because then they had black and white schools 
And so uh, the number two school was for African-Americans at that time. And so this celebration that we're trying to have at the University of District of Columbia, one, it's a campaign to name our first building on the campus at the university, which is a big deal, considering we've been, over, we've been around for such a long period of time. This will be the first building ever named on the campus at the university. And it'll be our sports complex at the university. And we thought this was most fitting based on all the, the, the knowledge that we found with regards to Dr. Henderson being a pioneer in athletics, refereeing, basketball, organizing, uh, recreation, physical education, and a civil rights activist. We couldn't think of anybody uh, better than to, to recognize him, um, recognize, to recognize on the campus. <clears throat> and so on November the 10th, uh, 20, 20 and uh yeah november 10th in the year 2020 the university board of trustees along with the president ronald mason jr uh voted unanimously unanimously to uh go forth and put this effort to name our first building which will be dr edwin bancroft henderson uh now even though dr henderson and we're honoring him because he was a 1904 graduate. We look at this as a, a as a city celebration and a nation celebration. And I say that because Dr. Henderson started out at, at um, what we call Dunbar High School, was then the M Street School, but Dunbar was one of the first uh, high schools to be uh, established in the United States for Black African American uh, students. And so uh, we celebrate this, not with just UDC. We also celebrate with Howard. He went to Howard and earned his his uh, bachelor's degree at Howard University after leaving Harvard, uh, where he went and got his physical training certificate at Harvard. And then we also celebrate this, this honor with uh, uh, the University of Kansas City in Missouri, uh, where he got his doctor's degree at Columbia University. Uh, and so we're excited that this is a celebration where everybody can fit in and be involved with it. And so on Saturday, February 19th of this year, 2022 at 11 a.m., we are having our unveiling uh, and naming ceremony of, uh, of our first building with Dr. Henderson's name to be unveiled on the building. And so we, uh, it's, it's going to be at 11 o'clock. And so we're just really excited. And then later on, I'll tell you about some of the other efforts that we have with regards to this project. Okay, I, I definitely appreciate that. And definitely um, our listeners definitely appreciate that as well, um, because this is definitely valuable uh, information that um, that the listeners need to know about um the great because he was considered um one of the great um to start this thing so i would like to ask uh um mr keith um as a referee historian um to chime in about dr henderson as a referee and founder of the ebo the eastern board of officials well thank you terrence and thank you for having me today um let me just say that I am a 28-year member of the Eastern Board of Officials. And in that time, uh, most of which I have been studying the history of the organization because I had he heard from members in my early tenure as an official 
about the history of the Eastern Board and of its president, E.B. Henderson. And being a, a lover of history, I started to dig myself. And the more I dug, the less I found. And so it's been a long journey. But what I began to find out as I really became disciplined about it is that E.B. E. Henderson really set things in motion. He was a pioneer of black sports officiating. Uh, officiating all by itself is a difficult task. You know, a lot of people don't like, and you know, to this day, we're still harping on the calls that the officials make, but we're all human. And so was E.B. But he put his heart and his soul into it. In 1905, he was coming back from his second year, his second summer at Harvard in the Summer Institute. And he, in the fall, prior to football, he called together a group of guys and they began to study the rules of the sport of football. And he began to teach them uh, what he had come to learn and understand about proper officiating techniques. Uh, looking at it now, I believe that it was all part of uh, his plan. Um, in studying this, one of the things that I can see now is the chain of events that occurred and how he put into effect the officials before he started the athletic association because you had to have governance of competition in order to have a, a, a league go off smoothly. Yes, we could... Uh, uh, we could uh, uh, play play games, but, you know, having been on the court, how things can, you know, go down when, no, you fouled me. No, you didn't. Um, but EB put into effect the training of others in the school system uh, to officiate. Uh, he personally officiated football, track and field, basketball, of course, and he judged boxing. Uh, and, and also later, he, he actually, in the early days, officiated soccer. Mm -hmm. So he had a broad array of knowledge in sports. When the uh, uh, Interscholastic Athletic Association of the Middle Atlantic States uh, mm -hmm. uh, started by EB in 1906, he had already had the officials trained to officiate the first track meet, which was held in D.C. May 30, 1906, at Howard University. Uh, the, the, the following successive years, as basketball began to uh, grow in popularity, and then you had the construction of the True Reformer Hall on U Street in D.C., E.B. both officiated and played in that initial season. He further stepped forward in 1911, and he broke the uh, collegiate football officiating color line in a game between Howard and Lincoln. He was the only African-American on a crew of, of, of white officials. And that, that opened the doors. And of course, the following year, the CIAA in 1912 was founded. EB worked the first football season of the CIAA as an official. Now, I, I personally think he had a hand in uh, the founding of the CIAA, but uh, uh, he did. Uh, Mr. He did. Mr. Henderson could talk more on that. Um, the That same year, there was a national rules committee that certified officials. 
1912, E.B. was one of only four men in the United States to receive football officiating certification by the National Rules Committee. The other three men he trained, the only four in the United States. He was one and he trained the others four. Um, in 1924, that's when he organized the Eastern Board of Officials. And this kicked off a, a series of events when the, the Eastern Board of Officials was uh, brought together because E.B. saw that, you know, we need some organization on all of this. And that was that was one of his wonderful skills as an organizer. And the uh, the board had spinoffs or breakoffs, and the next one took place in Baltimore. And then it moved down the eastern seaboard. And there were a succession of boards that began to crop up. And E.B. was instituting and encouraging these boards. And they were known as the Affiliated Board. It was a collection of African-American boards across the eastern seaboard that formed a union and worked to officiate football games on the collegiate level and then the CIAA. In 1925, and this is, this is where I'll, I'll stop because I don't want to take up too much of the time, E.B. as president of the Eastern Board of Officials, which he served for most of his early years, um, began talks to organize and govern under one body all of the uh, officiating of colored collegiate football teams across the U.S. So they had uh, high aspirations, and they were led by a, a strong man in, in Dr. Edwin Bancroft Henderson. And he has more accomplishments, but I won't take up, I'll pass the baton on to him. To the next person <laughs> i definitely got you on that one um for for dropping those nuggets uh, uh because it's very important um now let's get uh let, now let's just have this discussion with um mr penderson green about how dr henderson effect in um in efforts in making uh washington dc and made an impact uh in two other cities and now providing the doors uh to open to 70 percent of the nba players being in the professional league First of all, the thing I like to say about E.B. is that the man has swag. You know what I'm saying? That's what the young people use today to describe somebody who just is about their work. And when you see the diversity of his portfolio from the uh, civil rights activity to the refereeing to writing books, I believe he was certified as a chiropractor at was a chiropractor also? Yes, he was a he was here to degree in chiropractor, doctor chiropractor. Yeah. Doctor chiropractor in twenty three, I believe it is. When you look at that diversity in his portfolio, this is a very very thorough man, very deep man, and uh, as the young people would say, he gave one hundred every day. He didn't cheat the game of life. So I just like to start there with that foundation, and then when it comes to the game of basketball. The fact that he went up to Springfield, fell in love with the game, brought it back to Washington, D.C., and started training players at the 12th Street Y and created that powerful 12th Street Y team that won the Negro Championship in, I believe, 1908. That's the foundation to 
as far as I'm concerned, pound for pound, the greatest basketball hotbed in the history of the world. Start with guys like in the 50s, everybody knows Elgin Baylor. In the 60s, top 50 NBA day, Bing. In the 70s, Elgin, uh, Adrian Dantley. In the 80s, Lynn Bias. Right up until today, we have Kevin Durant, arguably the best player in the world. So that foundation that he created went from one generation to the next. And the love of basketball in this city is unprecedented. I interviewed Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. And when he came to recruit Johnny Dawkins, Johnny Dawkins was playing ball with his dad around the whole court. And he was shocked at all the old guys that were still playing ball. And Mike Krzyzewski, considered the best college basketball coach over the last three decades, and said Washington actually was the foundation for his great success there. He said they don't like basketball. They don't love basketball in Washington. They're absolutely passionate about the game of basketball. So that light was lit by E.B. Henderson. And just a quick piece of history, the early days, uh, he did his thing at the 12th Street Y, and then he handed the torch off to a guy named uh, Westmoreland, the coach at Armstrong High School. Armstrong High School in 1920, uh, in the early 1920s, 1919, they had a Negro National Championship in um, Virginia. The first two Negro National High School National Championships were won by Armstrong High School. Armstrong was so powerful that when uh, teams from the um, NEAC, like North Carolina Central, A&T, when they would come play Howard, they would come a day early or stay a day later so they could play against Armstrong High School. In the early 1920s, they said every uh, black school boy had picked up a basketball at one point or another. Local newspapers ran headlines declaring that more than 800 boys on basketball teams and the basketball boomed in color schools. This love of the game led Washington to its first powerhouse basketball program, which was Armstrong. So that piece is super powerful in reference to our legacy. And like I said, he created that foundation. In reference to basketball spreading throughout the country, uh, the, the business template or the basketball template that was created at the 12th Street Y, which was the first black YMCA in the country where black folks could come when they were transitioning from the South to the North, gave an opportunity to place to lay their head. Back then you had to actually have a permit to have a meeting. So you could have meetings, they could get recreation, they could lay their head down without drama. It was a sanctuary, the 12th Street Y. That model was paid for by the community. And then uh, Rosenwald from Sears came in and finished off some of the funding to get that done. But after that, that particular model spread throughout the country, Baltimore, Indianapolis, Chicago, Harlem. Harlem, all the major cities had YMCAs. And if you look at all the hot basketball hotbeds throughout the country today, they all, they're all over the place, but prim- primarily some of the hotbeds were places where these YMCAs were placed. So, and not to cut you, not to cut you off, Pennington, but also 
<laughs> you know, he he helped raise the money and put the most money in and, and got folks to, 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 to buy into this, this dream, which which is very, very hard to do uh, uh, at any time when you're starting something off. I just wanted to, I just, I'm sorry, I just had to interfere oh, there no, no, a little no. bit because I wanted the people to really understand that he not just promoted it, he put his heart and soul in it, and he had to find places for, for these athletes to even play because there were no regulated courts. Like the ones that he that he had uh, that he uh, grew up on uh, at at Harvard University. So I just I was just wanted to not let us get by without understanding that. But if and, and then they go back and, and and say that that first game ever played was right there uh, on U Street across from Ben's Chili Bowl. We call it Ben's Chili Bowl. Uh, that's a landmark in in the, in the District of Columbia. But that true reformers building really was the opportunity for African-Americans to be able to have some type of social life. And basketball was one of those things that they played in that building. So go ahead. I'm sorry, my brother. No worries. No worries. Good infusion. So the end of the story is that this gang spread throughout the country, but the nucleus, the way it started, if you talk to an Isaiah Thomas in Chicago, if you speak to an Elgin Baylor, there's very few great players that went into the NBA did not spend some time in a YMCA and that particular template, the YMCA template to help urban communities was created in Washington by EB and it spread throughout the country. And the trickle down effect is a lot of the guys that ended up in the NBA end up coming through those programs. Yeah, those are definitely wonderful uh, programs. Uh, um, Definitely, I end up going to a YMCA. You know, back in back in Birmingham, they um they had one at a uh, Lawson State, uh, Community College. So I end up going to one as well. So I definitely understand that. Um, now with with the closing remarks, I would like to uh, start with you, uh, uh, Trustee Barrett and Scott. Um, do you have any closing remarks? Well, I do have some closing remarks, but I would like for uh, Mr. Henderson, uh, the grandson, to talk about the two books that E.B. Uh, published, and that's uh, about the Spalding book and also the Negro Sports, and then I will follow up with uh, some closing remarks. Okay, brother. Okay, the, um, as far as the Spalding book is concerned, I, I actually have the, uh, the letters between he and the Spalding publishing people uh, because I found a box in the attic that had a plethora of... Um, important letters and documents and photos and uh, but as far as the the Spalding book is concerned it was the dedicated to the his league that he started and these books were published between 1910 and 1913 and they represent the first chronicling of african-american athletics ever um, the Spalding uh, publications before this uh, Spalding uh, had no African-American representation at all. This was the first uh, Spalding publication that had pictures of black people in it. And it also included the, um, the rules of his league, the Interscholastic Athletic Association. 
uh, one of the things that also talks about is how in 1907, uh, 1904 rather, how he created 40 teams of eight players each to play against each other. Um, and how he, uh, and this represents the first time African-Americans participated in the sport of basketball on a wide-scale organized basis. Um, so he's, he's credited with introducing the sport to African-Americans. Um, additionally, the Negro in Sports, uh, which was published in 1939, and then uh, a revision uh, 10 years later in 1949, he was uh, asked by the father of black history, um, Carter G. Woodson, to write these books. And um, it is known as the first real book on African-American participation in athletics. And when Arthur Ashe wrote his book, um, Hard Road to Glory, he was on the Today Show interviewed by Brian Gumble, And Brian Gumble asked him, well, why this book? Surely this topic has been covered. And he said, yes, the first one to do it was Edwin Bancroft Henderson, who taught physical education in the D.C. colored schools. And, you know, so, but he was writing long before that even. He wrote um, uh, in the... Um, 1911, the first year of the Crisis Magazine, he wrote an article on the colored college athlete in which he stated that once the Negro is afforded equal access to training and facilities, uh, white athletes will find their Negro uh, counterparts as an equal or superior to them. That was a bold statement in 1911. Gotta believe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a real big uh, bold statement, you know, definitely dealing with uh, um, you know, really just the, the end of turn of, of of slavery and then you turn into racism. So yes, that was definitely a real um, big statement in 1911. Well, the other thing is that his goal in uh, teaching athletics to African-Americans. And he emphasized education as well as athletics. And what he wanted African-Americans to do is to learn sports, get scholarships to Northern white colleges and debunk the idea of white supremacy or black inferiority. That was his goal even more so than trying to win championships and other things like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, I understand that. Um, so, do you, any of your other brothers have any uh, closing remarks? Amen. Well, yeah, we got a bunch. I've got a few. Mm-hmm. One would be that um, uh, on my board of trustees at the University of District of Columbia is Dr. Um, Charlene G. Jarvis. And her father, Dr. Charles Drew, the father of Blood Bank was one of uh, E.B. Henderson's finest students and uh, went to Amherst College uh, and represented, uh, actually, the three-letter man. And uh, and so Dr. Henderson really influenced a lot of people, including the great uh, Duke Ellington, uh, taught him how to play basketball. 
and and what have you, uh, and 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 the list will go on and on and on. But I do want to say that uh, the efforts that the university is doing by putting this sports complex up—that's just the beginning of. Uh, by naming the building, by this time next year, we're going to erect a statue on the campus in front of the complex. And those efforts are being uh, worked on now in terms of people making donations. We uh, also will have a, a scholarship foundation, of, uh, a, a scholarship endowment done in the name of E.B. Henderson and hope, hopes that uh, this will continue on and on and provide different opportunities for youth and sports camps and internships under this with, with the monies that we raise. And so we are asking that people help us build this statue first. Uh, and uh, we hope to be able to unveil that in the summer of 2023 uh, to to get to our goal. We really we've got some some opportunities for some folks that noted that they would match our funds. So I'm asking everyone on this podcast today, if you can't do no more than one dollar to donate one dollar to the Edwin Bancroft Henderson Memorial uh, Scholarship Fund. And. Um, you can go to udc.edu forward slash um, foundation forward slash donate. Or you can just go to udc.edu and hit foundation and make sure you earmark it to the E.B. Henderson Memorial uh, Fund Campaign. Okay. We're very, 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 very much appreciative. Again, I want to give much thanks to Terrence in Real Talk. I want to thank the University of District of Columbia Board of Trustees, our President Ronald Mason Jr., and the Foundation Board, the UDC Foundation Board, for taking on this uh, effort and making sure that the honor is properly given to Dr. Edwin Bancroft Henderson. Definitely, definitely appreciate you on that. Um, Closing. And that is that um, we were talking about his, his emphasis on education as well as sports. And I think it's amazing at the time, better century, we talk about him discussing um, some very, some very interesting and radical things. What some people would say radical in reference to civil rights. The fact that he had more articles published by the Washington Post than any other person. And majority of the articles were discussing race relations, but he was so articulate and so sharp that the Post would publish. And in closing, I like to say we said all these wonderful things about E.B. Henderson, and we basically, you know, look at him as a, you know, super superhuman. But he is human because he told Duke Ellington he needed to find another profession other than music that might not work out for him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So he, is he is human. He didn't miss. He didn't miss often. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, I'd like to add uh, uh, just a, a couple of things that Eb um, was the superb official. As 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 it goes, um, when he started the officiating track, um, there were only rules set up for three man crews of officials. And, of course, it has grown now to the point where you have eight-man or eight-person crews, because women are officiating now, even in the Eastern Board. And 
I, I, I want to speak briefly that the legacy that EB left of excellence in officiating has permeated and remained with the Eastern Board throughout its history, and it is still active, and we are still officiating. And it's a rough uh, 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 vocation to be a part of. And he, when he retired from leading the board in 46, left such an impression on everyone that the Eastern Board has had representatives of its body move up to other levels. And we have had members work uh, national championships in Division One, Two, II, and Three, and even have had members move on into the National Football League. In fact, in this postseason, there will be two members who are assigned to work the Super Bowl and one a national the NFC Championship game, which I believe is oh. later today. So EB, EB's touch is still present. Yeah, I'd like to say something to add, add on to um, what you're saying, uh, Irby. Uh, a lot of people just think of uh, officials as referees, but there's timekeepers, statisticians, and all kinds of people behind the scenes that you don't see that are part of officiating. And E.B. Henderson had a pension for... Uh, recording um, statistics and records and and other kinds of um, uh, data that is involved in officiating, and a lot you can see a lot of that in his books, The Negro in Sports. And again, I would like to thank my guest uh, for coming on. And Trustee Baron Scott, um, can you give that information out again, just in case uh, um, listeners didn't catch the information? Yes, uh, to support our campaign uh, and to donate, please go to www.udc.edu and then hit the foundation button. But more specifically, make sure that you, uh, when you're making that contribution, make it to the Dr. Edwin Bancroft Henderson Memorial Fund campaign. Also, uh, please go to the website on the February 19th, and those of you who can't make it up to the university, uh, you'll be able to uh, uh, live stream uh, the program. Again, it starts at 11 o'clock. Go to www.udc.edu uh, and look and hit foundation, and you'll be able to live stream the program at 11 o'clock and be a part of our celebration. Thank you so much. All right, all right. And on that note, my name is Terrence J. And we out.